Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Renee and Lang of the jazz group known as Bliss Bliss. The married duo joined their different but compatible music backgrounds of rock, pop, R&B, and jazz to create a unique sound that appears on their new EP, Three. Their third project was primarily recorded live in the studio with three other musicians and originated as snippets from ideas that both Lang and Renee had been working on for a few years. It comes out in November of 2018, and they talked about that and so much more from two very rich roads in music that go separately yet can join. So get to know them and dig this interview, my friends. Renee, Lang, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, without a doubt. So let's go ahead and start off with the elephant of the room, so to speak, your new EP due out in November. Talk to me about this and how you feel about it. Uh, Yeah, uh, the EP uh, 3 is coming out November 16th. We're really excited about it. Uh, We've had uh, uh, some really great activity on um, the current single, I'm Coming Through, and the video as well. Uh, You know, we are are based in uh, Nashville, so there is no lack of access to just incredible, incredible killer players. Uh, And we were really fortunate when we went in to cut the track, this, this grouping of songs, we literally, it was, it was, it was a really cool thing. We just went in. We, everybody sort of had a, a basic uh, idea of the way the arrangements of the songs went, but we just really, we just played it, and we just kind of let naturally happen what happens. And we just had some incredible musicians that just really interpreted the music beautifully. So we are very, very excited about it. You are billed as Sophisti Pop, and for our purposes here at Neon Jazz, we kind of we, we get involved with the jazz. But you have rock, pop, R and B. You have a you have a pretty big cauldron of influences that go into your sound. Talk to me about this sound and how those elements have come in on three. Well, I grew up. Uh, my mom was a piano player, and my stepdad was a sax player, so I kind of grew up listening to classical and, and jazz swing, uh, and Renee grew up listening to a lot of Motown, and, um, you know, we we kind of came of age, so to speak, musically through the 70s and 80s, you know, when uh, a lot of music was influenced by British artists. You know, I think maybe that informed some of the way that we began wanting to write. Renee did a couple of solo records as a solo artist, and um, they were produced by uh, a guy over in in England. She did both of those records in England. And I think there was just kind of a dynamic in the music at that time that really kind of just answered a lot of, or, or maybe just reflected a lot of the things that we love about music. I grew up listening to bands like Yes and Led Zeppelin and then love bands like Ohio Players and Earth, Wind and Fire. Yeah, all the funk stuff, the soul stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Renee grew up listening to Motown, but she loves jazz and she loves rock acts as well. So uh, our music has always been this combination of somewhat, well, the term that we found was sophistipop. And it's just a it's a subgenre. You can look it up on Wikipedia or you know, uh-huh. you know Amazon or any of those places. And it 
it just describes the music that kind of originated in that time frame. But there's artists that, that are doing that stuff now. Mm-hmm. So and it has all the elements that, that we have in our music, which is a combination of pop, jazz, soul, R&B, soul, R&B, rock. Yeah. So that's kind of it just it just is reflective of all the different influences that we, we love. And I would say in this modern music world that we live in now, being diversified is probably not a bad idea. <laughs> Well, hopefully, exactly, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we hope that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, being a musician. So let's talk about how you two met, how you two have kind of come together as a musical force. Give me kind of the the big bang, so to speak, and how we are where we're at. Oh, yeah. I'll jump in. Okay, so my story is I moved here in in 1984. I'm not from, I'm not a natural uh, native at all, and in this Everybody here is from somewhere else. I mean, it's kind of rare to find a true Nashvilleian. But anyway, um, I moved here in 84 and got into town. And literally, I mean, it, this is not what happens for everybody. But for me, literally, I was here for a month, auditioned for an artist uh, by the name of Amy Grant, um, and literally was on the road within literally two months after auditioning and rehearsing. And um, at the time, just a little background, Amy Grant was, she was the second largest touring act behind Tina Turner. Uh, when Tina Turner came out with her What's Love Got to Do With It tour, as far as, like, a draw, I mean, we were playing, like, 17-seat auditoriums. Thousand. Yeah. <laughs> 70, sorry, 000. I'm sorry. My bad. <laughs> coffee, drink, uh, coffee drink needs to kick in. But anyway, oh, yeah. I look confused on numbers. But then the other thing that was really cool is Lang moved here for the same reason to, to you know, to do music. In, in 1985, about a year later, and we met and uh, through some mutual musician friends. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it turned out to be okay. We just started, we had a lot in common uh, musically, amazingly, even though both of us kind of considered ourselves to come to, from different backgrounds. Um, we ended up getting married in 86 and really seriously started going well, after the... I would say... She was on the, we, we kind of encountered or went through an interesting time period for, for a while yeah, when we first got married because Renee was a solo artist and she was still singing background vocals for people and I was playing drums for different artists. So I'd leave on Tuesday and get back on Saturday and she'd leave on Thursday and get back on Monday and, you know, the following Monday and, and it was just like, I don't think this is going to really, really keep our marriage together if we keep, you know, crossing like ships in the night here. So uh, partly out of just a desire to figure out how can we keep our marriage together and keep doing music, I think we started kind of thinking, well, well, what if we tried to do something together? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were trying to figure out how to do that from a, from an artistic perspective when we first came up with the idea and kind of thought, this is going to be an odd pairing. But really the writing is what brought us together. The mm-hmm. more that we wrote together, the more that we talked about the music that we both loved, we found that there was more common ground yeah. for us in terms of an artistic vision than there was, you know, uncommon. So, right. so it just kind of seemed like a natural fit eventually, like, well, let's just try to do this. And we ended up, not too long after that, signing a record deal with a label, an independent label here in town, um, as a duo, as Bliss Bliss. 
And so we put a record out and had a number one off of it. And um, so that, that's kind of the origins, I guess. So this is your third project together, right. this yeah. album. Wonderful. So talk to me about, you obviously both have a wealth of experience, not only on the stage, but at the world at large, traveling and being in front of a lot of people. What did you learn from not only those people on stage that had so much experience, but from being exposed to such large audiences and then coming together to do your own thing? How did all that lead to you to and the duo that you have going? It's, it's an interesting... I'm, I'm, I'll start to answer this, and then you jump I'll jump. Up, we're kind of like a two-headed like monster, like a two-headed monster. So we may end up finishing each other's sentences. You know, the old music industry used to be, you know, the the label-based industry. We had, like you mentioned, you know, a, a wonderful experience of being on some very big stages with some really big artists and ex- height of what the music industry. I think, you know, kind of when you look back historically was the peak of that model, uh, which was probably the 80s and 90s. I think more than anything, it, it informed this desire that both of us had to create this understanding that we can do this because mm-hmm. we're doing this with other people, you know, behind them, so we can do this. And Renee did have a solo out, a solo career prior. So I think what happened was it just felt like a natural, like, well, of course this is going to happen. Um, and since that, um, and, and not to get too spiritual with it, but we, I think it's something both of us just felt like this is what we're made to do. Mm-hmm. And um, and so as the years have gone by, and it's been a tough road to hoe, so to speak, um, with the change of the industry and things like that, uh, it's just, just never uh, at our minds that we wouldn't keep doing it. And... So now it's just a different model, and we're ha- the, the the tough the tough thing has been over the past few years having to kind of switch our mindsets and go, okay, we've got to learn. We're old dogs, but we got to learn some new tricks. And so we're learning a lot about marketing uh, our stuff on social media and and learning how to use email effectively. Um, basically. Uh, aiming our music at the people that we think will really, really love it. And, and really, that's no different than that's the one consistent factor through all of the ama- incredible changes that have happened is that people, they are touched by songs. They're, mm-hmm. they're touched by stories. Um, and uh, that's the connection point. Now, it, we love, obviously for us, to me, the ultimate uh, connection point with an audience is to be is to actually do your music live, you know. But we realize that there's not a limit to that uh, with social media and stuff. Uh, it's just a different way to reach them. But uh, I think audiences they they come they come to hear music for a couple different reasons. They they want to have a great time. They want to have you know they want to get away from the pressures of life. They want to be inspired. They want to be encouraged. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why people come to see music, and those of us who play it, we just have the passion to do it, and we love and we love it. And that's kind of the thing I think for us to personally outside of the audience uh, is we just have a passion to do this and have kept doing it regardless of the. Uh, the changes in the music industry, the Roblox, having to learn new things, that, that, that whole thing, we're, we're still going. So the one thing you mentioned, too, that's changed quite a bit since you met in the mid-'80s is we have this new force of social media and 
there's a level of that that's effectiveness and brevity. And I want to ask you this. If you come to Kansas City, you need to sell yourself as a duo presenting this music to an audience base. How would you sell yourselves? What are you going to say and say and add in a local weekly or somewhere on Facebook to entice someone to say, you know what, I'm going to go see them tonight? Well, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, our music is something that uh, it's 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 an approach to music that uh, steps a little outside the norm. Listeners who have a bit more of a a little bit more of a background in terms of uh, a, a wider swath of understanding are really going to love this music um, because it harkens back to things like melody and, and harmony and uh, and more involved rhythms and, and but at the same time is is really accessible to a large audience. But ultimately, uh, you know, we sing about life from the perspective that love is worth every effort. Uh, it always wins. That uh, life is not uh, a bad thing or a negative thing. And and even if you've gone through hard stuff, there's there's always hope. I would agree with that, and I would just say also, just adding to that, that there is, you know, there's such an incredible amount of music out there, and, and I don't, we're not unaware of that. Uh, I think sometimes what happens, though, there happens to be people who are just, you know, the the, the more current music is gunning for the younger the younger and uh, younger audience, and that's fine and that's okay. Uh, I think sometimes though, you you have groups of people that simply because of where they are in life, maybe their age or whatever, they're just not, they're going back and listening to the old school stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we don't have any uh, illusions that we're going to appeal to a, a, an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old. But I think we're going to appeal to people who have had more life experience under their belts. Uh, they're not ready to uh, lay down and, and uh, say, okay, I'm done. I'm ready to just kind of, drift off into the sunset, I think we're going to reach people that are, you know, that they have, uh, they are going after it, they're going after life, uh, they're, they're just trying to have good relationships with people, they're, they're trying to stay motivated, inspired, and I think that's the people we appeal to. I don't want to limit ages or anything like that, but I think our music is a little bit, uh, more up in the mature, the mature audience area. And that's really who we are trying to seek to appeal to primarily, but we obviously don't want to leave anybody off of that. So the one thing about you, too, is that there's been a level of longevity that's gone into your career. And I think there's a real strong testament that that, that goes into a lot of bands and, and a lot of performers that stay around for a long time. It's one thing to have a hit, and it's another thing to be around for a long time and see all of the decades of change that you've seen. What's so powerful about music that will always be strong? I'm sure in the mid-80s, 70s, the 60s, music is just as strong as it is today. It's different, but it's strong. Why is it, as performers, when you see fans, why is it that music will always be here and be such a strong force for people? I believe that people, audiences, basically come to shows for kind of three reasons, if you can distill it down. People come to to have, uh, they want to experience, uh, you know, moments. They want to remember something from the from a performance. They, they come to experience 
moments. They they also come to have their lives changed. Now, you know, that's a really big concept. And from that perspective, nobody up on stage can change anybody in the audience. But but to the degree that the artist is prepared to go up there and create these moments and fulfill that desire that the audience comes to leave their lives behind, so to speak, for an hour and a half to experience these things and then to have their lives changed to the degree that the artist is ready to enable and conscious of those needs that the audience has, to that degree, I think that artist can have an enormous impact in the lives of those audience members. And, and not even really be aware of that. Well, I, to a certain degree, I mean, because the audience isn't. Right. The audience uh-huh. isn't aware of that. They're not consciously going, you know, doggone it, you didn't uh, create any experiences for me. I didn't, it, you know, I don't remember anything really, and, and you didn't change my life. I want my money back. <laughs> They're not really yeah. speaking in that way, but... Um, but they are subconsciously spending that 10, 15, 20 bucks, going out at night, hassle with the parking, going to a club that, you know, there's beer spilled everywhere, can't really hear the artist, you know, <laughs> can't see him maybe because they, you know, there's 150 people in front of them. But they do that because they want something and they believe that music has a trans, you know, something that's bigger than life, something that is bigger than just the everyday. And I think that's why people go to experience music, whether it's from an artist who's 18 or, or you know, 64. Uh, the needs might be a little different based upon the age, but the desire to have music impact them is still the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I believe and why we love music and its ability because it did the same thing to us. And we just want to do that for people. What live shows have you witnessed that really moved you, that really made a deep impact on who you are as musicians? Oh, my gosh. It's like, where do you even start? Okay, so this this is probably going to date me a bit, but the very first concert I ever saw was the Jackson 5. Now, I've had people go, who's the Jackson 5? I'm going, you have got to be kidding me. That's the <laughs> yeah. group that Michael Jackson was in before he, be, be, you know, before he stepped out and did solo stuff. And i got to tell you, my mom took me. And when I went to see that show, I was like, oh, I had always loved singing and stuff. Even as a kid, I was, you know, listening to the radio, singing along, all that. That was the show for me that went, I'm doing this. This is what I want to do. And it was cool because I was, like, going, I mean, it was everything that Lang said, everything that he just said about what you experienced. It was, okay, yeah, I was I was probably screaming, too, with everybody else in there. But, <laughs> but it was a deeper, as a creative person and as a person who loved to sing, it, it touched me in such a deep way that all these many, many years later, I can think about that initial experience and still get the goosebumps on my arm and go, oh, my gosh, yes, this is what I want to do. And I, I just love that I was able to see that show. Now, I, I won't go through the litany of there, – there have been different shows. It's crazy. I mean, I saw Kansas, if you can believe this, Kansas, when they just before they hit huge. It was either Left Overture or Point and Overture, and I can't remember which record came first. Left, left Overture. I saw them at a, co- at a college a campus, and I totally freaked out. I was like going, 
oh my gosh, these guys are amazing. It was a progressive, this progressive rock, which is kind of outside of sort of the music I gravitated towards, but same feeling like this music really, really moved me. And so um, I just, when I go to a concert, I'm just like, it just gets me really like excited because I'm, it, it, it just feeds into the passion I have, and uh, there's this kind of a weird camaraderie you have with, with musicians and with other artists. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but anyway, I'll let Lang kind of weigh in on his experiences. I saw uh, the very first concert I ever saw, I think, was, was kind of that experience for me. And it was actually, it was the reason I went was to see this brand new band called Foreigner. And the, the only song they had out at the time was Feels Like the First Time. But they were opening for this other band that I didn't know and didn't really care about uh, called Uriah Heap. And uh, and I just remember kind of like going, oh, my gosh, you know, because I'd heard the song on the radio, but I, I'd never, uh, you know, just never kind of connected the dots that you can actually go hear those people that you heard on the radio. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then I you know I got to see some really great shows. I remember seeing um, Tears for Fears, and they were amazing. And I got to see YouTube back when mm-hmm. I think it was like uh, uh, Joshua Tree. I think maybe it was either Joshua Tree or Unfor Unforget Unforgettable. No, what's it called? What was that Unforgettable Fire? No, what's it called? Unforgettable Fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it had like uh, I think it had Pride in the Name of Love on that one, and Anyway, yeah. you know, and it was in the, it was in, it was before they just became like freakishly, you know, everything was U2 in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but they were still huge, and but they, they kind of not moved into the almost iconic place that they, they kind of moved into. And so it was just a great show. They were still just way into it. And I'm not saying they aren't, anyway. Yeah, those were some really great yeah. shows. Uh-huh. Wonderful. So let me ask you this. I'm going to kind of bring everything down to this. Actually, I got two more questions. First of all, what do you want the the listener that gets your album three to get out of it? What do you want them to feel from your album? Man, hope. Yeah. Uh, inspiration. Inspiration. Um, like they get to chill with some music, you know, some some cool music. But this is kind of our audience is made up of folks who probably like artists like um, Steely Dan, maybe John Mayer, Charday, Seal, Seal, uh, maybe like uh, Brand New Heavies. So this is like, we're hoping that they're going to go, oh my gosh, another artist that I can really love that kind of music with. Right. So uh, our desire is that they'd be able to go, oh my gosh, this is so cool. It, it, it's hitting my, it's pushing my buttons. Yeah. And also, too, you know, I think lyrically our, yeah. our lyrical content is pretty much, uh, upbeat. It's not, it's not like, you know, uh, I think we're just trying to relate to people on an everyday basis, you know, it's like. We're not, we're not sardonic, kind of like yeah. really Dan and, you know, doing stuff like that, but lyrically it's, it's more hopeful, more inspiring, uh, encouraging. Yeah, that kind uh, of thing. You know, affirming. Fun. Yeah, fun. Cool. So let me ask you this. Everyone has a perception of who you are as a couple. You're 
family, your friends, your fans, but you know yourself best as a unit. Who do you think you are? <laughs> wow, that's a that's a heavy question. Um, I beg to put. How do you come up with these questions? Yeah, I'm no, just going with my intuition. That's all. Yeah, uh, I'll speak for who I think Renee is, and maybe then she can speak for. Is that okay if I say who I think? Yeah, totally. I think Renee is. Um, she has this ability to affirm who people are through her singing. She has this thing. She she is kind of like a. She's a little bit of a, an unexpected deep water. Um, she kind of has this pop voice, but there's something about when she sings, I think, that um, allows people to kind of look at themselves and, and receive hope. Um, she's, got, she's got a soulful quality to, to her voice, but i not speaking just about what she does, but who she is is extremely faithful, extremely uh, conscientious, and she has this quality to uh, champion other people. And, and that's who I think she is, and I think that comes across in our music. I would say when I, uh, Lang is the kind of person that he's very steadfast, committed to excellence as a person, and musically definitely very committed to excellence. Uh, he's got an incredible ear. I mean, he just hears in the core, you know, this is the musical side of him. In the chordal uh, area, he, he's, he's very tuned in to exactly what he wants to hear. And as a person, I would say he even has that quality in his, just his personal life. Uh, he's very perceptive of, of people around him. He's, uh, he's got a real knack for, I've seen this happen many, many times, where we've had this experience uh, in our personal lives when we're just hanging out with people, and, and we've had it in our, in our kind of professional lives, whether it's been somebody over at our, in our studio working on music. He has a way of just disarming people that may have walls, and they need a breakthrough, and he just has such a incredible way to uh, to create an atmosphere where people feel comfortable in that. And I've seen this incredible. It's like when we go to see my family, it's like they want to hear everything he has to say. And I'm like, excuse me, I've been in this family forever, but for some reason they've kind of given him this sort of like title of sage or something. But I, so. I guess I say this because, you know, it's really easy for us as musicians, as musical people to totally focus in on what a person does, and that's all important. But uh, this, this, what's important is there's a consistency in his personal life as a person and a consistency in, his, in the musical life of wisdom, of uh, excellence, of character in his person and what he's trying to achieve in the music with with us and other people. He's an incredible teacher. Uh, if somebody doesn't, you know, a lot of people come into the recording process completely freaked out, and he's just really able to help relax and come into the process and understand it and articulate that in a way so where they don't feel intimidated or attacked. 
Okay, and okay. I just appreciate that you bought you so I'm, nice. I'm buying you the couch. Okay. There you go. <laughs> the ulterior motive. Perfect. Hey, thank you again. Good luck with the album. Awesome. Thank All you right. so much, thank Joe. You, Joe. Really appreciate thank you. Man. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview. We give you a bit of insight into the finest players in L.A., N.Y.C., Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Brene and Lang of Bliss Bliss for their time, their stories, and their music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.